0: The name of this message, I know we've had some devotional messages lately. Uh, I did a couple recently on the Holy Spirit, two in a row, in our walks with the Lord. And I don't know, a couple months before that, I did two on the Holy Spirit as well. This one is called Walking in the Footprints of Jesus. And I did a message, my title was a little bit different than that. My title was uh, Walking with Jesus. And when I went to save my document, I already had another message called Walking with Jesus. And I said, man, I'm not going to even look at that message because I want this to be fresh and from the heart. And I changed the name of this message to walking in the footprints of Jesus. And, you know, anybody ever ask you, I mean, hey, how's your walk going? Now, if you, <laughs> you ask a non-believer that at work, hey, how's your walk? They're gonna be like, I don't know. Do I look like I'm limping or something? They're just not gonna get it, amen? But as a Christian, as a believer, you know, we understand pretty quickly what that means. It means, how is our walk with Jesus? And you know, I have a little bit of a devotional message here and just encourage you in your walk with Jesus. I love to walk. I love to hike. And I like to go on walks with my wife and my dogs uh, and so forth. And it's always awesome. I also like to walk alone often and just be with the Lord and spend time with Him in prayer, you know. And... I think it's important that we all make sure we have a walk with the Lord. And, you know, one of the things when I prayed about this, I thought about it, I thought we could do a Bible survey, basically, of, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, some of the most important passages on walking with Jesus. And we would probably go into Enoch from the beginning. Enoch was, and then he was not, right? But it says Enoch what? Walked with God, amen. Noah walked with God. Abraham walked with God. And there's a lot of passages we can look at that are really cool. And I was thinking about doing that because I just really wanted to talk about our walks this evening. How is your walk with the Lord? And you realize that when you're with the Lord and you know him, he wants a relationship with you. Amen. Jesus said, this is the eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. John 17:3. We cannot be saved if we don't know the Lord. Amen. The false prophets, Jesus says of them on judgment day, he says, he'll say to them, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. They were in rebellion to God and their faith was a sham and they have ulterior motives. He wants to make sure that our faith is real. And in many so-called faith communities, there's going to be hypocrites who, like the hypocrites, that was a word used for actors in those days where they would take the face of whatever God they were mimicking and it wasn't. You know, they would act as that God, but that's not who they really were. They put a facade up. We want to make sure that we don't have a facade up, that from the heart, that we are not, as I mentioned to the Lord in my prayer, those who draw close to him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. We really want to have a heart walk with him, amen? And that means when you walk with someone, that means you spend time with them. That means you're going in the same direction as they are, isn't it? Doesn't it? Right? And when you're walking with the Lord, who's the leader? The Lord's the leader. Amen. And I thought thought instead of going to a bunch of passages, although we will invariably, if you've been here long, go to a lot of passages still, I want to hone in on one specific passage that happens to be one of my favorite passages in the the New Testament. And I want you to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, this book is incredibly relevant for us today. Because Peter has a lot to do with talking about our walks with the Lord in regard to our relationship to the pagans, the heathen, the non-believers around us, and how to walk with the Lord in respect to being persecuted. Now, the early Christians were living in the Roman Empire, and there's a lot of complaints people have regarding our government, and I've got my share of things that I think are troublesome in the way they're handling things even right now and how there's power grabs going on and, you know, a lot of things that are really messed up, but nothing. Uh, and I think it's going to be a lot worse, by the way, because the Bible talks about it getting worse uh, around the world, right? But the Roman, uh, the Roman being in a, Rom- a Roman citizen or a non-Roman citizen, you know, uh, in the Roman Empire could be incredibly harsh. I mean, most, it's been estimated that most of the believers in the early church period, were probably slaves. We don't know exactly the percentage, but there were a lot of slaves in those days. And a lot of the early believers were poor. And they were often harshly treated. Peter actually tr- speaks about this issue of if you are a slave and you're being mistreated, uh, how you should be, make sure you're still submissive to uh, your master, okay? And the Lord knew that through Christ and through the cross and through the preaching of the gospel uh, that the Roman Empire would be turned on its head and slavery would eventually become illegal. The abolitionists out here in this country, which was a totally different kind of slavery by the way, it was kidnapping people from other nations and making them your slaves. Uh, It was Christians that led the abolitionist movement at that time. And we don't have time to get into that, I've gotten into that a number of times, but it's important that we understand he's talking about, he's talking to Christians who are experiencing persecution from their countrymen, other Jews, and other Gentile magistrates who are uh, living in a time uh, when, when Nero is uh, persecuting believers. Paul also lives during that time. And he's talking to those who are scattered abroad. And I don't want to spend too much time on the background of the book and what they were going through. Uh, but keep in mind, some of the things they're going through, it's important to know, and would go through. Would uh, Christians be turned into human torches. Christians would be, uh, you know, given over to wild animals. Christians would be thrown into the Colosseum. Uh, circus, circus, not just the Colosseum. In different places, they were, they were part of the entertainment. was watching Christians, Christian Jews, Gentile Christians as well, be persecuted to the point of death. And we don't know the exact year that Peter wrote this and exactly what the persecution looked in that particular year when these believers first received it. But It wasn't just written for the year that these brothers and sisters received this. It was written for those every year after that, including us. And if you don't see persecution on the horizon, you're not paying attention to what's going on in politics right now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, a lot of stuff that's going on. And 1 Peter is a book written for such a time as this. And I want to look at this passage to make sure we understand our calling as Christians. I got together to encourage a brother, uh, some counseling, although he didn't really need much counsel. He was going forward in the Lord, doing the right thing. It was just kind of a checkup thing, you know, and encouraging him, and he wanted to get together. And he was saying, you know, the reason I love coming to Blessed Hope, you know, and he said, I told you this from the beginning, is that you're, it's rock solid. You know, the preaching is rock solid. And he said that, you know, and then he compared it to some, and I'm not going to mention names, but he was like, it's such a political church. It's all about politics, you know. And his heart was broken because of that situation. And, and uh, yeah, sometimes we, ha- we have to talk about some issues that are political when they intersect with the Bible, like killing babies, for instance. That's something that I've done put stuff in videos on and so forth because we're called to stand up for the innocent, amen? So we have to enter into that arena to a degree off and on as it intersects with biblical teaching. And especially when this book of Revelation talks about a radical political system in the end that persecutes the saints. Makes us very aware of what it looks like, okay? So that's, that's important to a degree. But the weapons of our warfare are not What? Carnal, They're not physical, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations, bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ. Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, or Paul says in Ephesians 6, but principalities and powers. The rulers of the darkness of this world. You see the darkness that's in the world? They're spiritual rulers over that, demonic entities. And that's where our spiritual war is, and we know where the scriptures say the world's going. And we have our marching orders in the midst of what's going on in the world, to be a prophetic voice to the state, and to reach souls and be soul winners, amen? So Peter is written in the context of being soul winners. In fact, go to First Peter chapter 2, and I want to begin at verse 21. In fact, probably everybody's about there because I think I already mentioned that, except for me. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. Lord, please speak to our hearts. Please open up your hearts, brothers and sisters. For you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Wow. And that's, he just right before this talks about how when we suffer according to God's will and we're in his will, that we find God's favor. And we've been called for the purpose of following Jesus' steps and being an example to the world. Jesus Christ has touched more people's hearts than anybody else who've ever, who's ever existed, not by a slim margin, but by far and away, okay? And he suffered more than anybody, Yet he had the most encouraging, you know, the most encouraging words amidst his suffering, amidst his life, uh, than anybody else. And he gives us an example to live by. Now, it's interesting. He says, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you what? An example. Leaving you an example. That Greek word... I've mentioned this Greek word before. There's different words that are translated examples. And one time I remember going through like a few of the different Greek words in one study because they're all pretty fascinating. But I love this Greek word because this word example is you ever do any tracing when you're a kid? Even when you're older? Even artists will sometimes trace another person's work or to learn how to and so forth. Uh... The word example right there is used when you trace, what do you do? You have one piece of paper which has either writing or a drawing on it on the bottom, right? And then you put a thinner piece of paper, a piece of paper that's transparent to a degree that you can see through somewhat so you could trace over the other picture or words, right? Well, the Greek word, for example, literally refers to the paper that's on the bottom, the paper that is to be traced, The drawing or the words that are to be traced very carefully. And that's the word for example. And that's the word used of Jesus. That piece of paper represents Jesus. His walk. Notice he says, we're talking about our walks with the Lord right now. Notice it says, uh, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you what? An example for you to follow in his what? In his steps. So we're supposed to trace Jesus' steps, and we're supposed to follow them. So when we look at Jesus and as our example, we look at that piece of paper of who his life is, what he is, who he is, and we see his example. Now, there's obviously things you cannot do that Jesus did. For instance, he's God, and he was incarnated, amen? So we cannot actually, as God, because we're not God, become men and women, Right, he became a man, but we can't do that because obviously it's not talking about that. However, that's even an example to us. The Bible says in Romans chapter twelve, condescend to the man of the lower estate. You know, uh, uh, you know, associate with the lowly, those who are going through hard times, those who are perhaps rejected by the world that we live in, those who are suffering. That we're to condescend to the man of the lower state. We're supposed to follow an example. And we know that because Paul said, let this mindset all be in you, which was also what? In Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter two, right? Who, Although he existed in the very form or nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be what? Held onto, but he made himself nothing and was made in the form of a servant. Amen. Took the likeness of a man. And even died, it says, and even the death on the cross. And when you look at him being God, becoming a man... To save us, he says to you and me, let that mindset be in you that was in him. Are we doing that in our lives? Can you honestly say in your life that you are being a servant? I talked about that passage recently. Remember the Greek word translated servant there? You remember that word? Doulos. It was the word used of a slave. Jesus became like a slave. And I mentioned that Tacitus, the Roman historian in the first century, used that word to mock people. They have a mind of the sl- a slave, he would say. Now, we're called to follow Christ's example in that way. And, but we don't, be, from God, become man. We just, as men and women of Christ, what? We don't act like we're something we're not. And we be who God's called us to be. And we follow Jesus' example. When Jesus. Wash the disciples' feet. Remember that? He says, I've left you an example. Because they were refusing to wash each other's feet. I don't have time to get into it, but I'll just say this much. It was at the Last Supper, and typically if you had a servant, a household servant, he would wash his feet. But if you didn't, the first guy in there would typically wash the next person's feet. And people just were sitting around with dirty feet. I'm not washed. That's spending three years with Jesus, and it really bugs me when I see them do that. Because it bugs me because I'm like, oh, that's a picture of us. Me too. Wow. You know? And to grow in Christ, we need to get to the point where it's like, oh, there's four people left and there's one cookie there. And a couple of them are talking about getting a cookie. Mm. Man, that cookie looks good. I mean, I should use a different example because I'm, I'm doing keto right now. So I'm, that's not even in my mind. <laughs> you know, it's like you're in that zone. So what else? Oh, man, there's just a... One piece of steak left and I'm hungry. I haven't had a piece yet. Oh, that would be really good, right? Man, why do I come to the Bible on a half full stomach? Anyway, but you know what? We have to just, little ways in our lives, how can we give and defer others above ourselves? Do I always demand shotgun? Think about it. Do I always want the best place? You know, or do we say, hey, brother, you take it. That's kind of hard the Lord wants us to have. He wants us to be giving. And, and, it, and you know what? Some of those things are easy that I'm talking about right now. When it gets hard, and you have to give up something that's considered valuable to you to bless someone. But to do it without complaining. Could you imagine Jesus? I mean, was Jesus constantly complaining? I can't believe I'm dying for you guys. Man, I can't believe I'm here. <sighs> oh, you know, man. I mean, he had every right to. Right? Now, it's interesting because Jesus is that top, bottom piece of paper. We're the what? We're the top piece of paper, amen? We're to follow his example. We're to follow the lines he's drawn for us. We're supposed to walk in the steps that he has walked in. And it's so important because he laid his life down. Now, we said the incarnation is, you know, we can't do that. But guess what? There's even an example there. We're supposed to what? Condescend. Lower ourselves, be a blessing to others, be servants, amen? But even as we can't die on the cross and pay for people's sins, only God could do that, and that's the most incredible thing that was ever done for us, but we can learn from that example, right? Jesus talked about how no greater love does one have than that he gives up his life, lays his life down for his friends, amen? That's incredible love. And I love, love, one of my favorite places when you see that is in Romans 5 because there it says that rarely will someone even die for a righteous man. That's really rare. Someone doesn't die for someone typically, but rarely will someone even die for a righteous man. But while we were yet sinners, we were criminals. We were criminals that were criminals against God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing love. And that really is important because that really strikes at the heart of what Jesus is calling us to He's calling us to go beyond the world, and the world shows a degree of love because we're made in the image of God, even fallen people. Jesus said, what better are you than the pagans who love their own, their own? Even the pagans love their own families. That's not a credit to you. You you better love your own family. If you don't, you're in trouble, man. You better get right with God because that should be one of the easiest things to do. But I do know sometimes it's really hard because sometimes there's abuse and so forth, but you still want to love, amen? Just make right decisions and be discerning in your love, the Bible says. But he says, even the pagans love their own families. He goes, what better you than them? But he said, if you want to be like your father in heaven, love your enemies because your father causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He's calling us to agape. He's calling us to an alien love alien to this world, totally natural in God's heaven, (laughs) but it's supernatural because it's from him, but it's just agape. That's the way of his love, which is perfect. But he calls us as ambassadors who've been saved and are being transformed by the Holy Spirit to walk in that kind of love. And I wanna challenge you today, and I wanna encourage you to make sure that you are ready to seek to show love when people are mean-spirited toward you, when people mistreat you, when people give you a dirty look, when people cut you off, when people on, on, on the road. Anybody ever have a hard time with that one? <laughs> Jimmy, your hand went up fast, but I beat you, man. You know? I remember a lady, I did not expect to say this, you never think of it of her because, you know, she said, You know, Joe, I really struggle sometimes when someone just speeds past me and gets in front of me. I just, I just want to race past them. And, and I'm like, Really, Grandma? You know? Grandma, I'm just being, you know, older lady. And I'm like, wow. Now I, could, I was a lot younger probably when I said that. But I didn't say that. I thought that. I'm like, wow, like we all struggle with that then. Don't we? We all do, huh? Everybody here but me. No, not true. <laughs> me too. I struggle with that when I get cut off, you know? And I have to like pray, like, Lord, help me not get in the flesh. Person's being really rude right there, you know? And... You know, I don't think. Oh, you know what? I'll just tap him in the bump, the bu- his bumper, and uh, you know, and then ask for forgiveness. No, that God doesn't want us to see this. He wants us to do the first thing right. Amen. He wants to follow follow Christ's example. That's nothing compared to what Jesus went through. Amen. You know, I mean, I used to tap people with my bumper when you used to have these bumpers that stuck out and had those little rubber things on it. I just tap them. Only friends. Okay. Hey, buddy. Somebody I see, you know, know around town, and, and they go, hey, no damage because you both had rubber on the sides, right? Okay, I shouldn't tell you some of my old bad habits, you know, but it never caused any harm. But, you know, we have to go beyond the world. We cannot have mediocre lives. If we're Christians, that means we're beyond, we've grown beyond where we were at, amen? If anyone be in is a new creation, behold, old things have passed away and all things have become what? Have become new. Okay, so it's important that we get this and that we are tracing over Jesus's life. And it's interesting because notice the last part of that verse, and I want to go through a few verses today, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on any one verse, uh, leaving you an example. He left us an example. How he lived his earthly life is that bottom piece of paper. For you to what? Follow in his what? Follow in his steps the Greek, and I wish more translations would l- translate it literally, because I love the literal translation is literally wa- that we might walk in his footprints, and I don't know if they just translators think, oh, this is kind of awkward sound. I think it sounds great, that we might walk in his footprints. I love that, and we see that popular picture or that popular painting, maybe some of you have that picture where there's two sets of footprints, and all of a sudden, there's just one for a while. And the guy asked, or the gal, you know, Lord, how come there's only one there? Like, did you leave me at that time? And, and he says, you know, basically that's when I carried you, you know. And I like and I don't like that picture. I like that picture if it's talking about trusting the Lord and leaning on Him. We go through hard times going to carry you. I don't like it if you get the idea that I can just turn away from God and everything's going to be fine. People use that picture, I think, in different ways. Just like they use misuse scripture. But... What's cool about that picture, when I think of that picture, I thought, I think, you know what? Praise God that you carry us, Lord, through a lot of things. But I hope when there's one set of footprints only, it's because there's two sets of feet. But my footprints are in your footprints. And I'm following you. And I'm putting my little feet, compared to your feet, in those footprints. You know? Because we're following him. Because it says literally walk in his footprints. Trace the way he went. I love there's an old hymn, Footprints of Jesus. And it says, sweetly, Lord, have we heard thee calling? Come follow me. And we see where thy footprints falling led us to thee. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will follow the footsteps of Jesus wherever we go. Though they lead o'er the cold, dark mountains seeking his sheep or along Salome's fountains helping the weak. If they leave through the temple holy, preaching the word, or in homes of the poor and lowly, serving the Lord. Look at what Jesus, we look at what Jesus did, and we look how he ministered people. He loved people. He shared his, the word with people. He fed people. He cared for them. He prayed for them, right? He spent time with them. He was patient with them. Those are all things we're called to do, and it has to start at home where you're at, That's the best way to see if you're a Christian. Am I treating the people that are closest to me with the love of Christ? And if you're not, you need to say, God, have mercy on me. I repent. I want to get right with you. Amen? Because that's where you're going to be challenged first and foremost. Now, I've told you a story years ago, and I've probably repeated it a couple times because I love the story because it's about a man who, on Thanksgiving, he had been sober for a long period of time. Because drinking had been a vice that got him in all kinds of trouble and hurt his family relationships and come Thanksgiving, he was off and had spare time and before Thanksgiving dinner, he decided to walk through the snow to a liquor store and get some alcohol and catch a buzz, maybe get a little drunk and fell off the wagon and he started to walk in the snow, taking these steps And he looked behind him, and there, behold, was his little boy stretching his little legs to stay in to follow his daddy. And that convicted him so much because he realized, man, what kind of example am I setting for my kid? And he repented on the spot. So the story goes. And we have to remember that the footprints that we take are the footprints that others will follow. Amen? So if we're not following the Lord's footprints, whose footprints are we following? Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about, Paul says, the God of this world, he calls him the God of this world in Second Corinthians 4, 4, is blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious uh, gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. So Satan blinds us. But in Ephesians 2, he calls him Satan, the prince of the power of the air, who works through the children of disobedience who, and guides the course of this world. And I've shared with you before that word, the course of this world, has to do with a weather vane that just goes, you know, weather vane, you stick up on a barn and you can see which way the wind's blowing. And it has to do with Satan kind of blows the fashions and the things that are popular in the world that we live in. And he wants us to go with the flow. And if we're not following Jesus, we're following the prince and power of the air. Because Jesus doesn't leave an option. An option. not a third route you could go. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he that's not with me is against me. He that does not gather with me scatters abroad. So you're either gathering with Jesus or you're scattering. You're either walking and following him or you are going your own way. And that's not wise. He wants you to go his way. He's your maker. He's the one who loves you and gave himself for you. So we want to make sure that we follow Christ And by the way, Jesus said if a blind man walks or follows another blind man, where are they going to both end up? The ditch. Jesus is the light of the world. Where did he end up? Where's our destination? The heavenly kingdom, amen? That's where we want to make sure that we're going. We want to trace his steps. Paul was able to say in 1 Corinthians 11, follow me as I what? Follow Christ. Because he's following Christ, so he knew if you looked at his life, you would see, not that he was absolutely perfect, but the trajectory was to go forward and follow the Lord. He wasn't blind. Can you say, follow me as I follow Christ? You can't say that unless you're what? Following Christ. Make sure you're following Jesus. Because you're going to be an example, whether you want to, but you might say, well, I'm going to sign up to be an example. Hey, we're all examples of one thing or another. Now, Peter presses this idea. Go back now to First Peter chapter 2. Verse 22 now, let's look at the next verse. And now keep in mind, this is the context of suffering, this letter. And he's talking about suffering in this context, because if we would have backed up to verse 20, for what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. He's talking about, man, if you're in trouble, make sure you're in trouble because you're doing God's will. Amen. Okay, make sure you get in trouble for preaching the gospel. Make sure you get in trouble because uh, you, you, someone gets ticked off because you won't do evil. Not because you're doing evil, amen? And they says, for this purpose, that's what he says in verse 21, for, uh, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Verse 22, context, who committed what? No sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He didn't sin. Now, Jesus was sinless. He never sinned in word or deed. He didn't didn't sin in deed. It says he committed no sin. He didn't even sin in word. He says, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. And he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, this is pretty heavy because Peter is letting us know. In Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament is the most wonderful, powerful, along with Daniel 9, man. I mean, I like, I, Daniel 9 is super heavy too. He's a lot of, Psalm 22, we could just go with a lot of passages that are messianic prophecies about the Messiah. They're so beautiful. But I love Isaiah 53 the most because it's just, and chapter 52 at the end, because it's just replete with all kinds of prophecies about Jesus. 700 years before he came. I mean, it's in the, it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Essenes. Had you know written it down and so forth, uh, long before Jesus came around. It, we have we have uh, I've seen the Dead Sea Scrolls with my own eyes in in the Dead Sea Scroll Museum in Jerusalem, and it's just a blow mine. And it's just you go in the museum, which is shaped like the, the clay pot that the Dead Sea Scroll was found, and it's pretty pretty crazy. And then you go there's all kinds of things, but there's Isaiah 53. And on one of our tours, I asked R.E.A., who knows Hebrew, to read Isaiah 53. He read some of it because it was just so many people crowding around it, you know. And it was right from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was buried long before Jesus came to the planet. And by the way, it's such a powerful, clear witness of Jesus that to this day, if you go to a Jewish synagogue, when they go through Isaiah, they skip chapter 52 and 53. Oh, let's just go to Isaiah 54. (laughs) And when you read it to Jewish people, you know, there's a great video online. I think it's one for Israel does it. And they're reading Isaiah 53. To Jews and it's so obviously about Jesus but people don't know they're reading from the Torah I'm sorry from Tanakh towards the first five books but Tanakh's the entire Old Testament and they just trip out well yeah it says the Messiah would suffer you know oh he would die yeah he'd be cut off wow yeah there it is yeah there it is and and that's the most quoted chapter in the entire Bible you know that Isaiah 53 And Peter uh, quotes it here because it says, there'd be no deceit in his mouth. It prophesied that Messiah, his 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 sinlessness, you know. But he's an example to us, guys. When you're suffering, don't sin in deed. Don't do things wrong. And don't sin in your words. How many times do people sin in deeds? And they do something spiteful back to someone or they don't like what's going on, they do something that's contrary to God's will and they feel justified in it. You're not, if you're a Christian, you're never justified in doing evil. Paul says, should we do the evil that good may come? May it never be. God forbid, guys. We have to watch our words too. Somebody says something about you or hurts your feelings or you're jealous of them for some reason, then you start mocking them or saying bad things about them. That's wrong. Somebody at work, you know, is persecuting me because you're a Christian and then, You could be a great witness at that point, let your light shine, but you say something bad about them to the other workers, you keep talking bad about them, that's not good. And that's not, you're not being led of the Holy Spirit at that point, and you need to repent and say, God, have mercy on me and help me grow in this area, amen? Now, it's interesting because Jesus went through a whole lot, and uh, think about what he went through, and think about... What he went through, and in light of what he went through, which was worse than what anybody else had ever gone through, even before he bore the wrath of the Father on the cross, even before he was first arrested, whew, we, we, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane recently, so we're not going to go back to that, but he was crying heavily. He was, had the weight of the world that he was going to carry up the sins of the world onto the cross. Which is kind of interesting because the term later that talks about how he bore sins across the cross literally means carried them up. <laughs> Pretty heavy. He's already going through a lot. But there were three stages of his passion. and The first one began with his arrest. And he was arrested by uh, Jews and Roman soldiers. Someone, I don't forget who it was. Somebody came to me and said, you said that the Roman soldiers went back and it was just the Jewish soldiers. I don't know about that. I thought, yeah, you might be right. But it says right here in the NASB, John chapter 8, verse 12. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews. So it makes a distinction between the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews, arrested Jesus and bound him. So it sounds to me like there were Roman soldiers there. Uh, although in the uh, Greek, it doesn't specify specifically Roman. But Nelson's uh, illustrated dictionary uh, on the word cohort and the Greek word used there says, one of 10 divisions in ancient, Ro- an, an ancient Roman legion. One of 10 divisions of an ancient Roman legion. The traditional Roman legion consisted of 6,000 soldiers. So that could be 600. Although that word could reply to different sizes. It was probably not 600, but it could have been. Uh, a regiment or cohort consisted of about 600 men, although this number varied now, why the NASB translates this Roman legion uh, or cohort is because the Greek word translated as cohort in the scripture is spira. Okay? Spira, S-P-E-I-R-A would be our transliteration. And the Greek English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature says, quote, it probably means Roman cohort because everywhere else, it goes on to talk about that. everywhere else the word spira is used of Roman soldiers. Okay? So that's why the NSB translates it Roman court. And keep in mind, the Jews and the Romans often worked in tandem when they were dealing with crises because, you know, uh, Herod didn't want to see crises. Pontius Pilate didn't want a crisis, we know that. And the Jews didn't want him having to follow his Messiah. So sometimes they would get together when they had a common cause. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, we do read that Jesus, after he was arrested... And the Jews took him into their courts first. He was blindfolded and beaten and mocked. And in Luke twenty two sixty three 63 says when they mocked him and they, they beat him, they'd punch him in the face and they'd say, prophesy, who hit you? Luke twenty two sixty three. 63. Now, if you're standing around and someone just cold cocks you, that's pretty painful. You got a bag over your head, you don't see it coming. And I don't think Jesus You know, in his, because he's also God, said, oh, I can see it coming. I'm going to wince right before it comes. I don't think, because he suffered as the God man, and he went through this in his humanity, right, as well. And I think he was just getting hit over and over again. That's, this is just one of the reasons his face was marred, it says, more than any man's. Remember, it also says in Isaiah that they pulled out his beard. You ever pull your hair really hard? think about roman soldiers or, or jewish, you know, soldiers as well pulling out your beard trying to cause pain, ripping it out, you know. Then there was a second stage of his passion where after he was unjustly condemned by pontius pilate, he was flogged and he was mocked by the roman soldiers because he was handed over just as he said to the gentiles. And we read that they clothed him in scarlet a robe that would symbolize the royal robe because they were mocking uh, him being the king of the Jews. And they put a crown of sharp, painful thorns on his head, and, which would cause, exc- cause excruciating pain. By the way, I told you in another message recently that you couldn't even use the Latin word crux, C U R U X. That was not used. I mean, I thought it was a law, but it wasn't used in polite society. Even if talked about somebody who's being crucified, you wouldn't say crux. It was like a four-letter word. And the Romans weren't allowed to be crucified, their own citizens even. And when it says Jesus died on the cross, or died for us, right, and it talks about his death, it says even the death on the cross. Okay, that was a heavy thing to go through. And here God as a man is taking our sins upon himself. And they put this sharp, painful crown of thorns on him, and they knelt before him and said, Hail, hey, King of the Jews! That's in Matthew 27, 29. Now they're continuing to mock him. Then they spit on him, okay? And that was, I'm sure, really gross because it was a number of people spitting on him. And they struck him on the head with a staff repeatedly. Now, if you have a crown of thorns stuck in your head and jammed your head, that's painful enough. And getting hit one time would be painful, but if you get hit over and over again in the head with that thing on your head, Your beard's pulled out. You've been punched over and over again, you know. Uh, And then, of course, he was nailed to the cross. Now, and then when he was on the cross, the Roman soldiers mocked him. Luke chapter 23, verse 36 and 37 says, The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. The religious leaders mocked him at that time too. Mark 15, verse 31 and 32 points out that, quote, the chief priest and the teachers of the law talks about how they also mocked him saying, quote, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that he, we may see and believe. Come on. And even those who were being crucified with him were mocking him. Let this Christ, the king of Israel, now come down for the cross. That's what they were saying, right? But it's interesting. uh, We read in Mark 15, 32, that those who were crucified with him were also, quote, insulting him. And in Luke 23, 39, we read of one of the criminals uh, who was there hanging next to him was hurling abuse at him, saying, quote, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. (laughs) Yeah, he's going through all this. And he made the entire universe. He is not reviling back. If anyone has the right to be defensive, it is him. In fact, what greater miscarriage of justice has ever anybody experienced that is worse than this? The most innocent going through the worst thing that anybody could go through, Whew. and he doesn't sin, in deed or in word. We are called, we are called to, well, go to 1 Peter 2. Just go back a a, a page, verse 12. We're called to behave in an excellent way among the non-believers. Verse 12, keep your behavior what? Excellent. He wants us, guys, brothers and sisters, he wants our behavior to be excellent. I'm telling you right now, mark my words. What you're going to see, I believe, I could be wrong, I'm not prophesying, but I just have a strong conviction that you're going to see more and more professing Christians give the church black eyes in the coming years because they're not keeping their behavior excellent before the Gentiles. Let us not be named among them, amen, because they're going to do bizarre things, claiming that that's part of following Christ, claiming they had visions or they had prophecies or they're going to become far more political than following Christ's example, And some are going to return to violence and things of that nature. And it's going to give Jesus, they're going to give Jesus a big black eye. (sighs) Figuratively speaking. Verse 11, and then we'll read all of verse 12. Beloved, I urge you as what? Aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. We have to watch out for sin Then verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Brothers and sisters, in other words, you're still gonna get mocked. But the people that are mocking you because they don't love the Lord in the day of visitation when the Lord returns, they're gonna like, wow. And so you keep your behavior righteous right now and hopefully You'll win them to the Lord. In fact, look at verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the what? The ignorance of foolish men. So we're called to be a witness, not only to honor our God, but we honor him and glorify him by setting an example to the non-believers. So you're not just trying to set an example for your kids. If you're a parent, that's a big deal. You should be. Or for your brothers and sisters, that's a big deal too. But you're supposed to be setting an example and showing what it means to be a Christian to non-believers so you can win them to Christ. Jesus said, let your light shine. That's what Peter's talking about here. Peter is one of his apostles. Peter was a fisherman, right? We read in uh, Mark 1, Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Amen? These guys were fishermen, some of them. And Peter knows how to fish with a net and with bait and a hook. We see him doing both in the scripture. And being a lifelong fisherman, even though I know a couple of times he was really struggling, and Jesus said, over here, that's what happens when you fish, right? You don't always catch, but guess what? He knew what kind of bait to use. Well, he knows what kind of bait to use to win non believers. He's given us a lesson in fishing. We're called to be soul winners, amen. We're called to win the lost. And that's part of tracing Jesus' example and walking in his footprints. Jesus went about sharing the gospel of the kingdom, amen? Preaching repentance, amen? Sharing what he would do to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. He says that whoever believes and shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He was already talking about early on in the gospels. The gospel of the kingdom also, would admittance of the kingdom would come through death, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we're called to be fishers of men. But it begins, you guys, it begins with our examples. We have to set good examples in front of the non-believers, whether you're at work, whether it's your neighborhood, wherever you're at. God wants you to be an example. He doesn't want you to take this lightly. He doesn't want you to think, yeah, you know what? I'm a Christian. No, he wants you to be very deliberate and definitive about your walk with Jesus to where you're like, hey, I want to be a good example. You know what? Maybe you're having a problem with a neighbor or two. You know, be a good example. You know, take the high road. And just speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean that you roll over, you never stand up for what's right, but it means when you stand up for what's right, you do it in a loving, considerate, graceful way. Amen? And sometimes you suffer, even though it's going to hurt you, maybe financially to a degree or, or put you on the outs a little bit, so you could be a good example in your neighborhood and wherever you're at. Sometimes you got to talk about the issue. Sometimes it's like, you know what? This kind of guy's tree's on my side, you know? So I'm going to trim it for him. Not go over there and like, what are you doing in your backyard with the big hacksaw? Take it, or hacksaw, big old, uh chainsaw, and you're taking his whole tree down. You know, you got a, you got a limb in my, you know, and you just you're cool. You know, you just trim it for him. Guess what? I'm not saying that's always the answer. There's specifics that go on every. God speaking to me. Is that what God? Is? No, you have to look at your own situation, and pray before the Lord. You know, and sometimes God gives you great neighbors. You know, sometimes. He gives you and allows you in his providence to have neighbors that are hard to deal with because he's growing you. He's stretching you. By the grace of God, I don't know if we look this way next month or in three months, but right now I have good neighbors. You know, we didn't always have, you know, sometimes we had great neighbors. Sometimes I remember we lived in one place that was really hard to get to, you know, back in the, you know, and uh, we had interesting neighbors. If any of you are watching now, I love you. Just we're kind of in a tough situation, you know. Because we were back there, and the trash guy would come back, and it was hard for him to get back there. And if you had a car parked, which one time I think it was Chad had parked over there, and, and then he left or something, and the trash man came, and the lady was all ticked off down the road a little bit because just down in the little cul-de-sac. It wasn't a cul-de-sac. It wasn't where I lived in the house before this. It was a little tiny house off a reservoir drive. And I felt so. And man, bam, 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 bam. That lady came to the door. Oh, my wife, poor Lisa, she got yelled at. You know, and uh two Italians, you know. Lisa did pretty good, but Lisa was like, a little bit loud. I came out of my office. I go, hey, can I help you? Lisa. Hey. And she's, just, you know, she's always super, I don't know why, but she's always really sweet to me. I think it's because I was bigger than her. I'm not sure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but she was always really sweet to me. And, uh, and I was, but I was, you know, I was just, and I'm, I'm not saying that as a guy that always answers right, you know. But I always told Lisa, she's like, how come you don't get tickets? I don't say to the cop when he pulls me over, it's so wrong of you to hide over there. That's not how I start my conversation with him. (laughs) Uh, Lisa is a person that's into justice, what's right, you know? And she's also full of mercy, but I just, sorry, officer, I think you're a little blind. No, that doesn't work. You know, she's never, she doesn't say that, you know, but we drive down the road. I just, it's funny, you know, it's like, how could that guy hide back there? That's so wrong of him. And I'm like, it is kind of messed up because, you know, you get good at the downhill, you know, and the guy's like right there and it's like, poor people don't have a chance, you know. And I say that not as a guy that's a perfect driver, not even close. God's had so much mercy. I try getting better in my older age, you know. Uh, I try to be a a good driver, but uh, at least it's probably more, even far more law-abiding, does a lot better driving than I do. But, uh, so I can understand her angst sometimes. But when you are in a situation, whether it's the law, whether it's neighbors, whether it's people at work, at school, friends, neighborhood, shopping center, the mask situation, it's got to be tough on a lot of you, right? Uh, Do we like, you know, want to just, just let loose? We want to say, Lord, what, how do I react in this situation? How would I? Can I best glorify you in this situation? That has to be a reference point. Not how do I feel about this. That can't be our first reference. Our first reference needs to be, Lord, how do you? How do I trace you? How do I walk in your steps in this situation? You know, how do I show the love of Christ? Doesn't mean that there's not. Sometimes people needed education, and maybe you could talk to them because there's a lot of crazy things going on right now, right? With uh, this whole, you know deal with COVID and everything and uh, you know, and everybody's got an opinion. I was uh, around a bunch of people not too long ago and every conversation was COVID, da da everybody had strong opinions, you know, it's like interesting, you know. I'll be doing a message on just talking about that pretty soon because I do think we need to be aware of where this whole thing's going when it comes to big government and technology and things of that nature, which we'll be getting into I've dealt with that recent not too long ago on a podcast. But I'm telling you right now, it's going to get harder and harder than it is right now. Everybody thought, "Oh well, Trump's in, man. It's easy to be a Christian a lot of ways right now, man." Da da da. I said, "Woo! Wait, I said it." A lot of people go, "Wait till he gets out, because the pendulum is going to swing the other way, because you got a lot of people upset, a lot of, And I'm not saying Trump did everything. I gave you a lot of warnings, saying I'd way much rather have him as president than have Hillary. By not even a little close, it's like pfft, light years away, no doubt about it. She's pro-baby killing and uh, destroying traditional biblical marriage and all that stuff. Uh, but at the same time, I said, there's a lot of TikTok people when they get office, they're going to want control over you, you know? They're going to, they want to, and right now, I mean, there's a lot of disparity, things that just don't make any sense. Like right now, you better get vaccinated, even if you're one of the hundred million people that got covid and you have way better immunity than those who have been vaccinated who have had not had COVID. And you're way less chance of getting COVID and transmitting it. Oh, but you're a leper. And the person that's vaccinated that hasn't had it is a lot more dangerous of getting it and carrying it and giving it to someone else. But that's not the way. Oh, but guess what? California just passed a law. There was a law in this state that if you have AIDS, which is, could be a death sentence to people and it's killed millions of people. If you have AIDS and you know it and you sleep with someone sexually, and you don't tell them, big trouble. Guess what? They just overturned that law. California. Yeah. So I have a really hard time with the way the left is running things. What a contradiction, right? You can have AIDS. You don't have to wear a condom. And you don't have to tell the person. You can infect them. And it's, it's cool with us. But man, even if you have a less chance of getting the disease and spreading it than someone who's been vaccinated because you're one of the million with one of the hundred million in America that's been, had COVID, you are a leper and a danger to society. That's a huge incongruity, isn't it? I'm just shooting straight, you know. If I understand right the law that's just been rescinded. And so, but at the same time, guess what? I still have to be Christ-like, amen? I still have to make sure I don't do evil things. That is what I'm telling you guys right now. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, lawlessness will increase. Paul said, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, and evil men will wax worse and worse, and that's deceiving and being deceived, and that's right after he said, no, this last days, perilous times will come. And he gives that description of how wicked it will be, even in the church, because he says they'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And so you have even religious people, you know, telling us to just walk in lockstep, check our minds at the door with whatever the government says. And I believe we obey the government unless it contradicts the word of God. Amen. Can't preach the gospel. Yeah, I'm preaching the gospel. I don't care what you say. You can never get to, you can't get together again anymore. Nope, I can't deny the forsake, can't forsake the selling myself together. Oh, well, take this mark to buy or sell. You know, give honor to the king. Nope, I can't take that on my right hand or forehead. Warns about that in Revelation 13. So there's a lot of areas where, you know, we can't go. But there's other areas that don't contradict the word of God. And sometimes you have some people thinking that. They, they're just rebellious by their fleshly nature and they're still in the flesh and they just want to be rebellious and act like they're obeying that they're just some hotshot Christian because they're in rebellion to anything the government says. You don't want to be that person either. You want to say, okay, where do I set an example? And because we're looking at the, Peter's preaching under the hand of the Roman Empire that was at times hunting Christians down. The Roman Empire that crucified our Lord, amen? Yet he's saying, to make sure that you are not evil spoken of because what really matters to the Lord ultimately is that we win souls, amen, and that the gospel is not evil spoken of. You have to have the gospel and Jesus as your highest priorities, guys. Otherwise, if you don't have the value of Jesus first in your life, and you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you don't. you're not esteeming what he did for everybody and shedding his blood and what he's done for you, and if you're not concerned that other people, lost people like you, recognizing that you, they, you once were blind and you were once dead in your sins, and, aren't, and you're not seeking to have mercy on them and trying to set a, a light, and you're just kind of focused on yourself and your rights, and it's about my rights, it's about my rights, it's about my rights, and then it's gonna become a whole political thing for you, and you're gonna miss the whole boat, and you're gonna miss Jesus. Amen? That doesn't mean you don't vote. That doesn't mean you don't call out what's evil. That doesn't mean you don't call out what's wrong. That, does, that doesn't mean that you don't say what I just said. Hey, there seems to be a huge disparity but where you can say, hey, you can have AIDS and know it and go infect somebody. And it's, it's cool with us. But hey, God forbid you'd be, have greater immunity than somebody that's been vaccinated because you had the disease that we should dare treat you as though you're even on par with them as far as your status before the government. So I really think it's important that we understand this. And Peter is giving us a huge fishing lesson. And the best way to take this fishing lesson is Peter's a fisher, Jesus is the fisher of men. He teaches Peter how to fish. We want to fish for souls. We want to win souls. Amen. And in verses thirteen through fifteen, Peter goes on to write in chapter two submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every what? Human institution, whether to a king. As the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is in the context of even obeying wicked governments. The Roman government was way more wicked than our government right now. Do you realize that? We are not being hunted down like Nero hunted Christians down, or like Domitian. Who even in the Apostle Paul, I mean, many believe, most scholars believe that Paul was beheaded by the Romans under Nero in the 60s. We know from Irenaeus, who sat under Polycarp, who sat under the Apostle John, that he was exiled after Nero by Domitian to the Alipatmos. And we whine and cry as though it's worst days ever right now. It's going to get really bad. And during the time of the Antichrist, it's going to be really, really bad. It's going to be far worse than the time uh, under Nero and under Domitian by far. But we're not there yet. And we need to stop whining and start shining, amen? And start living for Christ. Now, look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 12. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. And humble in spirit, verse 9, 1 Peter 3, 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you you might inherit a blessing. God wants to bless you, but you got to do what's right in him. For the son or for the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Matthew 5, sounds a lot like what Matthew 5, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And falsely say, that's, that's heavy. Rejoice, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we want to retaliate, we're getting our eyes off of Jesus. We're getting our eyes off the big picture. That's why I like to preach the big picture because that helps me take the right steps within my own microcosm because I recognize, man, look what Jesus went through. This is all part of the deal. We're gonna be persecuted Rejoice, right? You have treasure in heaven. You can't, if you're not looking at the big picture, you're gonna get all freaked out. If you put all your eggs in one basket right here and you store for yourselves treasures on earth and you think that this is it. No, I man, I would have a huge ulcer if I didn't, wasn't a Christian, man. Because I'd be like, what in the world? This is crazy, this world. But man, I'm, I don't have a, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm excited about this all, Heralds, we know it's gonna happen. Romans 12, verse 14 and 17 through 21, listen to what Paul said. Blessed, or bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17, never pay back evil uh, for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Hmm, interesting. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, written vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So one ultimate avenger amen but if your enemy is hungry feed him and if you're you're talking about your enemy and if he's thirsty give him a drink for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good we need those reminders amen there's been a number of times on the road okay when i'm driving with lisa (laughs) and she's like relax it's okay Because sometimes if someone like swerves in my lane, I'll go beep, beep. And she'll be like, why'd you do that? I'm like, well, in my mind, but he wasn't going to hit you. He just got kind of close. And he's going, I'm letting him know for future reference. (laughs) That's what I say to her, you know. But uh, so I got to give Lisa some credit. She'll keep her cool a lot more than me sometimes in that kind of situation, you know. Um, And, you know, maybe my testosterone's going and. A little bit, I'm like, whoa, you know, and beep, beep. And uh, I just give a beep, beep, you know. and But you know what? It's like, <laughs> sometimes it's like, yeah, it probably might have been better if there wasn't a beep, beep. You didn't you know that. The probably pr- person realized it, you know. And uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I've been beep, beep, you know. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting Blessed are those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be, on the sa- be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. Wow, I love that. But associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil. Respect what is right instead of all men. Those are just great verses. Now notice in verse 22, it says he didn't sin in word or deed. Now listen to this. I think this is heavy. He's quoting Isaiah 53, 9 a little bit, which says of the Messiah when he would come 700 years before Jesus came into the world, his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yep, that's true. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Yep, he was, born, he was buried in Joseph Arimathea's tomb because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He's quoting that passage. And there's so many verses where Peter talks about how holy and righteous Jesus was, amen. Look at 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19 in the same book. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19. If you address the Father, the one who is impartially judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Wow. Because remember, he keeps referencing, this is, we're just here for a little while. And conduct yourself in the fear of God, man, in your stay on earth. Verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, Huh. from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless with uh, the blood of Christ. He's telling us about Christ's sinlessness. Precious blood. As of an unblemished lamb, Jesus was without sin. And he just said that in chapter two that we've been studying, verse 22. There was no sin in word or deed. And now we're seeing that he was like the lamb unblemished. And this is, Peter must just trip out because Peter grew up with the Old Testament scripture. And it's like, wow. This is him. And Peter observed Jesus' life very closely, right? And whenever he contradicted Jesus, he never accused Jesus of sin because he knew Jesus was as sinless. But he just thought Jesus might have not have the best idea about, you know, the going to the cross thing didn't make sense to Peter. Man, that'll never be. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus says to Peter, right? And all of a sudden, he realized, wow, he was perfect in everything. He fulfilled those prophecies and so we see Jesus' as example of sinlessness, sinlessness through the gospel accounts, which is really awesome. In fact, uh, not just prophetically, but in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, Mary is told that the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And uh, for the, that reason, the holy child, he's the holy child, shall be called the Son of God. John eight twenty nine, Jesus says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Can we, any of us here say, I always do the things that please God? No, we can't. But Jesus could. In fact, Jesus says, who convicts me of sin? In John chapter 19, verse 4, it says, Pilate came out and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no fault or guilt in him. No fault or guilt in him. Wow. In Matthew 27, 24, Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing because he knew Jesus was innocent. But rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. Meaning, I, pff, not that he was innocent, man. His wife even had dreams, said don't touch him. But he was afraid of the crowd. But he saw that Jesus was innocent. The thieves on the cross next to Jesus, Luke uh, 23, 41. And we indeed, one of them says and changes his heart, he repents and says, and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Wow. The epistles, man, of the apostles. Second Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet... Without sin. Wow. First John three five. You know that he, he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Wow. Over and over and over again. In fact, we're told in First Peter. Go to First Peter one verse thirteen. By Peter, look at when he references following Lord. Therefore, verse 13 says, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on, on the grace to be brought to you in the revel- at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning, look at the end. We're only here for a short time. As obedient children, okay, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But look at verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, and Jesus called the Holy One over and over again. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We're supposed to follow his example. Jesus said, Therefore, you are to be perfect. Matthew 5 48. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now it's like, wow. Be perfect? Yeah, we're called, we're called and commanded to be perfect. That's a command. So we ought to be striving to be perfect. Okay? Now in Hebrews chapter 12, he talks about how we're all disciplined as children. Amen. And he talks about those who died are the spirits of just men made perfect. He won't be totally made perfect until the Lord comes. Right now, we're growing. We're becoming like Christ. If we're already perfect, we don't have to follow the template. Amen. We don't need to be told to even follow the template. It means we're already doing it. Why does Peter even say that? Because Peter talks about in his second epistle, chapter 3, verse 18, he talks about growing in grace. You can't grow in grace if you're already perfect. However, guess what? That doesn't mean you don't strive for perfection. Okay? And I use the example of major league hitters, right? None of them thinks by the end of the year they're going to bat 1,000. But any of those hitters that are worth their salt go up to the plate trying the best they can, amen? And they try to be perfect. And we recognize that we can't be perfect, but we can be closer and closer to perfect the more we follow Christ, amen? Because Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, Oh, well, how is he perfect? How do I, I mean, I can't see the father. That's why Jesus said, when Philip says in John 14, show us the father, it's enough. What does he say? He says, if you see me, yes, amen, Diane. You've seen the father, amen. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians chapter one, verses 15 and 16, that Jesus is the very image of God. And the Greek word is icon. So we get the word icon from. And that word icon was used of Caesar's image on those coins, you look at the coin, and you say, oh, that's an image of Caesar. You look at Jesus, you say, mm. Hebrews chapter one says that Jesus is the express or exact representation of the, fa- per, of, of the father. Whew. You look at him, and you're like, wow. And he always did. He said what the father said and what he saw the father doing, which is an interesting verse. So now it's interesting because, and that's 1223, where it speaks of the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and a God, the judge of all and of, and this time of those in heaven, and of the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Isn't it nice to know that even though you aren't absolutely perfect now, as you seek to be more like Christ, that when you die and go be with the Lord? It says that right there in 1223 that your your spirit will be made perfect. How many are looking forward to that day? Whew. So we just have all, everything to look forward to, guys. This is not our eternal home. Peter is not here anymore. And millions and millions of other Christians. That were born in the last century and the century before that, and all the centuries before that are already been with the Lord. Amen. Now. Verse 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. I love that. We talked about already, he didn't respond back in evil way, Amen. So I'm not going to emphasize that because I've already emphasized that. But I love the end of that. And I wanted to still read in verse 23 because it says That he did what? How did he get through it? How did he get through it? Isn't that awesome? Amen, Jimmy. Okay. He trusted the Father. He trusted the Father. He committed himself to the Father, it says. And remember, we had a study recently on the Holy Spirit. And I talked about when Jesus went through his Gethsemane experience, it was grueling. I mean, making that decision, knowing he was going to bear the weight of the sins of the world. And drink the cup of God's wrath to the lowest dregs, it says. Woo, man. How did he get through it? It says in the book of Hebrews, remember what it says? He offered up himself. How did he do it? By the eternal spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. He relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he is the God, man. So obviously he was doing that, but he was relying on the Holy Spirit. And that means you have to follow his example. Amen. And you need to rely on the Holy Spirit because it's not enough to just, you cannot trace the life of Jesus without the Holy Spirit, amen, in your life, helping you trace the life of Jesus and walk in his footprints. Literally, it says to follow his, his example, that first piece of paper, and to walk in his footprints. And you don't have the power, the strength, or the wisdom to do that on your own. Either do I. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. So we have to say, God, give me help. Empower me. Give me wisdom. If anyone is in trials, James says, ask for wisdom, amen? Seek to be Christ-like. Follow his word, read his word, okay? And you can say with Paul, I could do all things through him who what? Who strengthens me. Verse 24, the last verse we're looking at quickly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, okay? I love that. So that we, we might what? Die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, we were healed. Wow. I love that. He himself bore our sins. He bore up our sins onto the cross. That term bore is used of offerings that are lifted up onto an altar. He took our sins up with him because he had chosen to, to bear the weight of them on the cross uh, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. Now we were healed. He's going back to Isaiah 53 again, by the way. Remember? By his wounds we were healed. That's in Isaiah 53. I love it. Peter knew what he, they they knew what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. And I love that that's so personal right there. You know, on one hand, he bore our sins on the cross and he carried them up, carried up our sin onto the cross, is what it literally says. It says he did it in his body, okay? And I just love that. And I want to encourage you and end with this, that that word, when you look at verse Go ahead there and look again at verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. The word literally translated cross there is tree or wood, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He wants to be dead to sin, that old life, guys, and live for him. For by his wounds you were healed. For verse 25, you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have to returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. That same word, tree, that's used right there, that Greek word that's translated tree is the same Greek word that's translated tree in Revelation 2:7 to the church at Ephesus. Jesus letter to the church at Ephesus that he that overcomes he said that he would give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. It's the same word that's used in chapter 21 and 22 that's translated tree in regard to the tree of life. You don't get to the tree of life without Jesus going to the tree of death. That's the only way you get there. And the overcomer gets to partake of the tree of life. How do you overcome? Through his death. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him, that is the devil, by the blood of the lamb, his death. And the word of their testimony. We have the testimony of Jesus, we follow example. And they love not their lives even unto death. We follow his example again. Amen. We don't deny the faith. We keep going forward and we die in the faith. Amen. And all those who die in the faith, Hebrews chapter 11, they're looking for a city. Amen. That's made without hands. An eternal city. And we're going to be right there with Jesus. We're going to be right and we're going to partake of the tree of life because we're following his steps and his steps lead to the heavenly kingdom. Amen. So let's keep putting our feet in the footprints of Jesus, amen? Keep walking with him, keep praying to him, keep talking to him, keep reading his word, keep following his example, keep seeking him above all else, amen? Can we all please stand?